0: Good morning everyone. I hope you are doing well. Uh, This morning, if you're wondering why I'm laughing, uh, it's because I just looked at the camera and realized that there is a little toy dinosaur taped right to the front here. (laughs) That is hilarious. Good reminder that we should remain smiling uh, even though it's still a not an ideal circumstance meeting virtually this way. I know many of us are really eager to get together and resume worship again, Um, and uh, we look forward to that time of when it's happening, but that does not mean we cannot have joy in our hearts and rejoicing as we come to worship this morning. Uh, I do have a few announcements that I want to highlight for you this morning before we begin uh, with our call to worship. First one is, if this is your first time coming online with us and, and joining our worship fellowship, we'd like to thank you for being a part of this gathering. Um, we hope that you are comfortable at home, that you can hear, and uh, that you have a Bible and a, a good cup of coffee or tea or whatever your favorite breakfast, beverage is uh, right beside you ready to worship the Lord with us. Um, we also want to let you know that if uh, you're not uh, getting our email, which has our order of worship in it as well as a lot of information about what's going on in the life of our church. We call that email Atonement Life. If you're not getting that communication, we'd love to encourage you to sign up. Um, There is a sign-up form on our uh, website, on the homepage. So if you go to atonementlife.org and scroll down about halfway down the homepage, there's a form that you can fill out to sign up for those emails. We would love to get you uh, in in the loop of our communication. Uh, so that you know what's happening in and around our church. If you are getting the emails, then you probably saw that there's a lot going on in this month. Um, first of all, we have a lot of anniversaries. June is a popular month for weddings, and so there is a whole list of people in the church who are celebrating their anniversaries. Be sure to take time to write them cards or send them notes through Facebook. Give them a phone call or text and encourage them and celebrate uh, what God has done in their lives uh, through the many years of marital bliss. Um, the other thing to uh, acknowledge that's happening this week or beginning this week is uh, a new thing and it's called Coffee with the Pastor. Um, for some time, Terrence and I, Pastor Terrence and I have talked about how we can better connect with our congregation during these seasons and it was recommended to us maybe holding a Zoom call uh, that some folks can come in and have some virtual time just to have some questions and conversations. So we're going to start that this week. Uh, There are details and sign-ups, links to sign up through Atonement Life. Uh, So please check that out if you're interested. We'd love to participate with you, and I look forward to having coffee or tea with you uh, at that time. The other thing that you probably saw was that uh, we had some bitter speakers to announce, and that was that our much-beloved Children's Ministry Director, Don Malloy, has been sensing a call to a new season of ministry, and the Lord has uh, brought that call into uh, a concrete form, and she has notified us that she will be moving on here in the month of July. And I know Dawn is going to be greatly missed. I have really enjoyed working with Dawn and getting to to know her and hear about what she has done in children's ministry over the years here at Atonement. So I just want to encourage us to be praying for her. And uh, I would also encourage you to take time to read Don's letter. I think she just captured it beautifully. um, About her past season. My batteries are (laughs) dead. a living sermon of what it means to sacrifice. Pastor Terrence has given me his his battery so that my microphone can work. Hopefully you all can hear me now. Um, I want to just give an encouragement. You know, I was sharing a little bit about uh, Dawn's uh, departure from our church and how much she will be missed. Let's make sure that we are praying for her and also I encourage you to take time to read her letter. Uh, I think she really captures well just the season uh, that she has enjoyed here at Atonement and also this new season that she's walking into. Um, I think it would be just a blessing to send her with our prayers and our support and love as she enters this new calling in children's ministry. As we come to worship, um, let us hear the call to worship from Psalm 95. I'm going to read for us from Psalm 95 verses 1 through 7. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let us pray. Father, as we come to worship you, help our hearts and minds to be set upon your goodness. Help us to remember that you have made us, that you have created us to enjoy your presence and to bring you glory in this world. And so we ask, Father, for you to guide our hearts and thoughts in this hour. Help us not to be distracted or overwhelmed by all the things that life can throw at us, but help us to carry these burdens joyfully toward you, knowing of the love and grace that we have in Christ Jesus. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.
1: At this time, we're going to sing the hymn, God of Our Fathers. I invite you to worship with us. The mighty hand Thy love divine hath led us in Thy past. In this free land by thee our lot is cast. Thy paths are chosen away from wars, alarms, from a deadly pestilence. Be thy strong arm, our ever sure defence. thy bounteous goodness nourish us in peace refresh thy people on their toilsome way lead us From night to never-ending day Fill all our lives with love and grace
2: us in this room let us say amen amen, amen. all right all right. <laughs> good news good news good news comes from God and we thank God for his good news we come now to a time of confession God wants us to confess our transgressions our sins to him why because God waits to forgive take a moment and confess between you and the Lord and then I will lead us in our confession. First Peter chapter 1 verses 14 to 16 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Our Father and our God, we come this morning to your throne of grace, confessing our shortcomings, our breaking of your law are falling short of your glory in innumerable ways father in our hearts we have fostered bitterness and hatred we've not forgiven others of their trespasses against us we have not loved each other as your word so diligently instructs we have been jealous of others We have spoken disrespectfully. We have loved darkness, the darkness of sin, rather than the light of your truth. Father, too often we have returned to the old ways, and we have not left them crucified. Our Father, we have doubted your word again and again and again. Father, every person, every person worshiping with us today, every person here in this sanctuary needs a Savior. We need the Savior. Father, you have given us a Savior, the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us our sins against you, Almighty God. Grant us, O oh God, the grace to trust Jesus day by day by day. Lord Jesus, the scriptures teach that you are our peace. You are our righteousness. We thank you this morning. We thank you, O oh God, for forgiveness through Christ Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Our assurance of pardon comes... From the book of God, of Isaiah, some people call it the fifth gospel in the Old Testament. But it reads thus, chapter one, verse eighteen: "Come now, let us reason together," says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Brothers and sisters today, today though your sins are the color of crimson and scarlet, stains that you cannot wash away, Jesus Christ makes them white as snow, whatever they are. Jesus makes you and me clean. Jesus is your life, my life, your righteousness, and my righteousness, Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen and amen. I'm going to pray one more time for us. For the Lord has given us that we might give back to him. Our Father, we thank you for all of your provision. God, even during days like this, you continue to supply food for our tables, money to pay our bills, money to come, God, and invest in your kingdom. We pray, O God, that you continue to bless, Lord, what you have given Church of the Atonement, we pray, O oh God, that we would be found faithful in investing in your light, in your kingdom work. And this we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen.
1: We're going to sing now, Teach Me, O Lord, uh, and you're invited to sing as you consider uh, the provisions of the Lord. <laughs> From day to day
0: Well good morning boys and girls, hope you are doing well this morning. I think a lot of you have just finished up some of your uh, school for the year and you get to enjoy a summer break. I bet that feels really good to have that out of the way and now you and mom and dad and aunts and uncles can do more things that uh, are kind of uh, fun to do at home and not have to be on the screens and doing the homework and things like that. You know, this morning we talked a little bit about, in our announcement time, about the sad news that we heard about Miss Dawn and how she's going to be moving on to a new ministry. And I know that many of us are going to miss her. You probably will miss her a whole lot. Maybe some of you, you've never been to Church of the Atonement where Miss Dawn hasn't been greeting you and helping to plan things for your Sunday school time. She's been so wonderful in, in helping us with our Sunday school and our family Bible camps and planning fun events like our Father's Table. And I know that um, it can be a really sad thing whenever people that we love who have really helped us grow and learn more about God are, have a time where they need to leave us and follow the next thing that God has for them to do. And I wanted to, to remind us all of a time in the Bible when this took place. You might remember It was on the night before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus was with his disciples. And he was telling his disciples that he was leaving, that he was going away to do something that was going to be really wonderful for them, to prepare a place for them in his father's house. And his disciples were so sad to hear that he was leaving. And what he tried to do, Jesus explained to them, this is a good thing that I'm going, because it means that God is working. God is going to do something new. God is going to continue his plan of helping all his people come into his house. And so even when we have transitions like when Pastor Kurt left and now when Miss Dawn is sensing that God is leading her to go help a new church learn about God, we can, although it's sad, we can be happy to know that God is still working, that God is doing something here to help us grow, And learn more about him. And we can trust that he has got good things in store for us and for Miss Dawn. And we also, knowing Miss Dawn, know that she will be thinking about us and praying about us and may even say hello to us once in a while. uh, Even as she plugs into this new ministry that she's a part of. So I just wanted to give you some encouragement this morning and let you know that it's okay to be sad but it's also good to remember that God is still working and doing really wonderful things for all his children, including us. And so, let's pray and let's thank the Lord for that good news and thank him for Miss Dawn. Father in heaven, we thank you for how your word is a comfort to us. We know that these transitions in our life are really hard to say goodbye to people that mean so much to us. And we just pray and thank you for Miss Dawn and all the ministry that she has done for us. And we ask, Father, that you would bless her and give her strength for this new thing that you have called her to do as she has to build new relationships and make new friends in the new church. We know how scary that can be, Lord. We pray that you would help her to do that well. And Father, for us, we pray that you would help us to trust and, and remember that you have a plan and that we can um, be confident that you are working and you are helping our church family to continue to grow and become healthy so that we can show the world and tell the world about Jesus. We thank you for all this good news and for the way that your scripture brings us comfort. In Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, we are going to turn our attention in the big people sermon to the book of 1 Peter. We're uh, returning once again to 1 Peter. We're picking up in chapter 2. And we're going to start uh, our reading in verse 12. Um, This is the sermon series, Living in the Midst of Hardship. And uh, we're picking up in a place in Peter's letter where he begins getting very practical. He's constantly, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he's constantly been building a case for holy living. As Pastor Terrence reminded us in our uh, prayer of confession, That uh, Peter says, you know, you are to be holy as God's obedient children. We are to bear that family resemblance and be holy as God is holy. And, um, you know, Peter, throughout his letter, you've probably noticed this, but from the very beginning to even uh, the last time that we were studying this letter, he's been constantly affirming the identity of these people, of who they are in in Jesus Christ. So he calls them elect exiles. He talks about how they are cherished children. And last week, Peter used all kinds of language to uh, describe them, referring to them as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a kingdom of priests. It's good for us to know that each of these terms has actually been used by God in the Old Testament to describe his people, Israel. And so what Peter is doing is he's been building the case and reaffirming to them their identity. He's saying, look, you guys are truly part of the kingdom. You really are God's people. Your lives are no longer what they once were. You now have a higher calling. Everyone else lives for themselves, and you did too at one time, but now you live for God. You're his people. You're his house. You're his way of showing the world how wonderful he is. And so he calls them to live and be holy. And it was important that he continuously affirmed their identity in Christ. Because if they're anything like we are, they probably wrestled with that calling of what it meant to to be holy and live in holy ways. And if they're anything like us, the question that they probably all had in their minds was, you know, Peter, what does that mean to be holy? What does that mean in practical, everyday life? What does it look like to be holy? We want to honor the Lord. We want to live out this high calling to be God's people, but we are citizens of this place in this time. And for them, they were citizens of Rome in the area of Turkey. And so Peter already anticipates these questions of what does holiness look like in everyday life? And so after encouraging them and calling them as God's people to be holy, he explains what this looks like. And what we're going to see in the next three weeks is he explains this by citing or referencing three contexts of life, civilian life, vocational life, and home life. And so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit um, as, we, uh, as we cover this next section over the next few weeks. But today we're going to get into looking at first what it means to be a civilian. How does it look for us to be holy in everyday life as a citizen? So I invite you to listen along as I read God's word written for us in 1 Peter. We'll pick it up in verse 12. The ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is God's word written to us, preserved in Peter's letter to these believers. May he write its truth on our hearts this morning. You know, as we've talked in previous weeks, the people that Peter's writing to are living in the midst of hardships. Just within this letter, we learn that they are people who are often falsely accused. They are targeted for their faith as evildoers. They are treated as scapegoats. They're threatened, they're mocked, they're slandered and reviled. And so it would be good for us to understand contextually why these hardships are coming to Christians at this time? What is it about being a Christian that is warranting such treatment? There's a, uh, a great lecture that was published. It's a little dense, uh, but I really found it to be an enjoyable read. And it was published in this book. It's called, Why on Earth Did Anyone Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? Why on earth did anyone become a Christian in the first three centuries? If those hardships Kind of became commonplace, why would anyone become a Christian? And what uh, Larry Hurtado explains in this lecture is that Christians were not viewed merely as a public nuisance, but rather they were viewed as a public enemy. In Roman culture, Roman citizens would proclaim Caesar is Lord. And this statement was something that was expected to be said and lived out throughout the entire Roman Empire. It was a way of uniting the many cultures within the Roman Empire under one leader. So people could honor and worship the deities of their choosing. They could respect their cultures that they came from as long as they recognized that the authority of how they lived fell under Caesar. So when Christians began to declare Jesus is Lord it was viewed very much as an anti-Caesar statement. And so this is the political persecution which I think we typically think of. It's typically what we picture when we think about persecution in biblical times. Rulers and governors who were arresting people and punishing them. The way that Christians exclusively worshipped the God of Scripture revealed to them in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it meant that one could face not only political punishment, but as we'll see in coming weeks, societal consequences. They could lose their livelihood and be disowned by family and even uh, experience great physical abuse and scorn from their masters or spouses or even parents. So that's what Christians were facing at this time. When we refer to living in the midst of hardships, it was real persecution that was coming because they were viewed as a threat to the society. And so Peter gives here in his letter a picture of what Christians should be doing to embody holy living within these cultural contexts that they find themselves. What does it look like to be holy in everyday life? And what we see is that Peter gives the what, why, and how for holy living as a citizen of Rome. So let's begin with the what. We see this in verses 13 and 14. Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or king as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Here Peter encourages believers to recognize the authorities that exist in these civil governments and live as good citizens. The language that Peter uses demonstrates an understanding that civil governments are generally good. That while they're certainly pagan, and they are far from perfect, they did seek to keep and establish order. Calvin writes uh, in his commentary on this passage that this is a point where Peter is acknowledging common grace, the common grace of God at work in the world. And common grace is a term we use, meaning that you know we could have societies that were filled with chaos and disruption and brokenness, but God institutes certain aspects of grace. He institutes certain things like government or like general morality that we see that help curb how bad things could be in this world of brokenness and sin. And so we could have societies that are filled with anarchy and chaos, but God has established governments to just bring basic functions of security and protection in society. And so though they're not perfect, Peter can see the good in them. And so this charge given by Peter actually is quite similar to any time that we see God's people in service to other kingdoms. We might think about Old Testament characters to help us uh, flesh this out. Joseph, whenever he becomes part of Pharaoh's uh, court, Joseph needed to honor and respect the rulers that were over him in various points of his life, and he was elevated to a very lofty position of influence within Egypt. The same is true of Daniel in Babylon and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and even Nehemiah when he was a cupbearer to the king in Persia. So what we see with all of these Old Testament references is that the principle of holy living under authorities is not a new principle that's being taught by God through Peter, but rather it's maybe a new message for these new believers in the context of Rome. Submitting to authorities has long been the prescribed ethic of God's people. And next, Peter gives uh, the example of why, or the, the explanation of why that is. In verse 15, he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In this verse, Peter is connecting this uh, encouragement to submit to governing authorities with what he has stated in verse 12 keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. What Peter is saying is that our public lives as citizens of communities and countries are actually one of the means that God uses to reveal and remove ignorance. Ignorance means to not know. And at this time in the Christian movement, there were many who did not know and understand Christianity? There were many people who saw Christianity as a threat. They saw it as a, a, public, um, a, a, a public disgrace. They saw it as a real stain upon society. And so, what Peter's saying is demonstrate who our God is, live in ways that prove that their beliefs are wrong, reveal their ignorance to them, let them see your good deeds and understand that there's something different about the God of the Bible and those who are called to be his children. And many at this time were ignorant and did not know God as believers knew him. And so one of the things we need to understand is that in order for God's people to be the people who reveal his glory to the world, that big high and holy calling that we have, our public and private conduct needs to prove it. Basically, while governments and neighbors would have suspicions that Christians are a public enemy, what God wants his people to demonstrate is, in fact, we are a national treasure. We are wonderful people to have in the kingdom that we have here on earth. We are wonderful neighbors. We are good citizens because of our great and awesome God. So Peter has given the what? Be good citizens. He's given the why because by being good citizens, it transforms and influences people's minds. It helps them see that there is a God who lives and that he is a God that is worthy of worship and honor and praise. And it will transform societies. It will change people from not knowing to now seeing and knowing and understanding the realness of God. Well, how do Christians live this out? How can we live it out in a way that convinces others of this? Verse 16, he says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. It's good for us to remember that in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1, Peter wrote about how God's people have been ransomed or freed from the feudal ways inherited by their forefathers through the precious blood of Christ. And here, Peter is appealing to that action of liberation. He's appealing to that freedom, but he's clarifying that this freedom is, is not a license to do whatever you want. It's not a license to do evil. It's not for rebellion. It's not for anarchy. It's to be used as a freedom to serve the Lord. It's a freedom given uh, for good. This is a freedom from the slavery of sin, as well as a freedom from the cultic and cultural obligations of pagan religious practice that they had received. They don't have uh, an an obligation to live in those patterns of the world anymore. But note, it's not a freedom to ignore the authorities of the governments that are above them. Instead of using God's authority to make our own agenda in life, what Peter is saying is that God's authority gives us our agenda in life. That is to be good citizens. And so what Peter is providing is he's providing a much-needed nuance. Declaring Jesus is Lord doesn't mean that Christians are now free from the social constructs in which they live. There's still a society that they are in. And it would be easy to think that if God is my king, if Jesus is really my Lord, then I don't have to honor or listen to anyone else. Though they may not be able to participate in every cultural expectation Peter is instructing them that being good citizens of God's kingdom means living as good citizens in the place they live now. Being good citizens of God's kingdom means living as good citizens in the place they live now. In verse 13, Peter began this whole encouragement about submitting to authorities by saying, Do it for the Lord's sake. In other words, obeying our authorities is done as part of glorifying God. It's not blind. It's not meaningless submission to authorities. It's redemptive. It actually serves a very important purpose, which we've just learned about. And Peter continues to explain how holy living looks with these authorities above you. The first imperative is the call to honor everyone. Believers are to treat every person in the countries and communities in which they live with dignity and respect because all human beings are created in God's image. Even sinners are to be accorded respect and honor as human beings. And interestingly, this word honor is the same word used in reference to the emperor in a few uh, lines that we'll get to. There's no partiality. The same honor and respect given to the emperor should be given to all human beings. So he says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Here he acknowledges the special relationship that exists between brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ. He says, fear God. We honor the rulers that are in our world, but we do not fear them. Fear is reserved for the place of highest honor and authority. The highest respect we are to have is for God's rule. We honor the emperors and we honor everyone and we love the brotherhood because of who God is. And so it is right that we should fear God and that we should operate and live according to what he dictates. But he rounds out this, this uh, collection of imperatives by saying honor the emperor. Though the emperor's authority is not on par with God's, as God's servants Believers are to strive to show him honor. To understand and demonstrate in the way that we live that he deserves the same dignity that we would give to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The same respect. Not because he deserves it for how he rules or how he behaves, but because God, who deserves all honor, requires this of us. These are important things for people living in the midst of hardship, experiencing this newfound persecution. They've seen the cause of Christ, what Christ has done on their behalf. They've been won by the love of God. And as they seek to follow Christ, there are ramifications. But one of those ramifications doesn't mean that they get to uh, throw off all of the um, societal constrictions that are upon them. They don't get to just ignore the authorities that God has erected to provide a common grace order. Furthermore, God intends to demonstrate in their lives, through their living, as good citizens, who he is. And start to remove and reveal ignorance from these pagan cultures. The church is to be a light. That's what Peter is saying here. Even though these things were written to Roman citizens nearly 2,000 years ago, it's so clear to see how applicable and relevant this principle is to us, especially today. This is a question that everyone is asking right now. How should churches and Christians be conducting themselves in the midst of a pandemic? How should we be relating to authorities that are in our local communities or our state or our country? How should churches and Christians be conducting themselves in the midst of great societal unrest and problems? When patterns of injustice don't seem to be righted or when progress for basic human dignity just doesn't seem to be happening? What should the church be doing? This passage gives us valuable answers. It makes it very clear we are called to live as good citizens. Our conduct should serve as witness to our community and our world that there is a God and the way we live should demonstrate what that God is like, what he is like. We are to participate in incarnate ministry, to be the body of Christ, to represent the mind and the heart of our Lord to the world. So this means that when authorities and powers seek to do what is right, we too should affirm it. We should name that it's right and we should do what is right. And when authorities and powers seek to do what is wrong, we have the obligation as God's people to stand and to still say and do what is right. When the choice between following Caesar or following the Lord comes, we are servants of the Lord. Some people will take issue with this passage because they're concerned that it just seems like we just follow leadership blindly, even if it were to ask us to do things that are harmful to humanity or defy the things that God stands for. But we need to remember who's writing this letter and who has written similar things. We have Peter and Paul, both spent time behind bars. Why? Well, they spent time behind bars because they were told to stop doing the very thing that God called them and told them to do. And they said, we cannot stop doing these things. And so they were sent to prison. Look at Jesus. Peter provides later on, and we'll see this in in our passage next week, a reference to Jesus as a model. Remember, he is our cornerstone, the one in which we evaluate ourselves and we align ourselves with. Peter writes, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So even when the circumstances do not uh, follow with favor upon the Christian life and the Christian ethics that God calls us to live out, what it looks like to be holy. Still, Jesus shows what it means to demonstrate honor and love and gentleness and respect, but ultimately fear for the Lord. He is our cornerstone and one that we can look to as our model. The truth is, brothers and sisters, the world is watching the church right now. The world is looking to see, do they really practice what they preach They are watching to see if we are really willing to stand for what we say is right and accept the costs when those costs are associated with standing for that cause. And right now, in my opinion, too many churches and Christians are forgetting this. Too many churches and Christians are forgetting what our call is in this season. There are too many people who are concerned with promoting their political and social philosophies and not concerned enough about promoting the kingdom of God. Let that not be said of us at this church. Let the people of this church demonstrate to our communities and our county and our country the heart of God as we live it out as God's people. A heart that reflects love for neighbor and a desire for justice in doing what is right, but one that does it with great respect and honor, that we see the dignity and value in the persons who are persecuted and those who are persecuting. Let us be holy and demonstrate to the world the heart of God, not by building platforms for ourselves, but by living and standing firmly upon the platforms we've already been given as parents, as teachers, as friends, as neighbors, as citizens. As citizens live and speak in ways that do not simply follow the law, but embody the truth of God and His goodness as we do it. We are cultural influencers. God has called us to be holy for that purpose. He wants to use us, you and me, to reveal His heart to the world. And at this time, as it has always been, there is ignorance. There are foolish people who do not understand what Christianity is or who the God of the Bible is, but we know Him. And our responsibility is to live in ways that demonstrate who He is to the world. May we be a church that shows the world the holiness of God, all the wonderful things that make Him worthy of all praise and glory. Let us show it through honor and respect that we give to the leaders above us, the love and compassion we give to brothers and sisters beside us, and to the people around us. Because we know that we have been freed and called to do this through the cross of Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the great burden and privilege of living in this time, of living in a time when it is so important to embody your truth, to be a church that displays a visible witness of practicing what we preach Help us to bear this burden well. Help us to demonstrate our love for you and our fear of you, our understanding of this calling we have in our life as we seek to be subject to the authorities that are around us. Give us courage to do what is right even when others want to incite us to do what is wrong. Give us courage to do what is right even when it is being demanded that we do something that is wrong. Help us to model ourselves after Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
2: Let's continue to pray, brothers and sisters. Let us go to the Lord, sovereign ruler of the universe, with our cares and with our concerns. Almighty God, our father scriptures tell us our God is in the heavens he does whatever he pleases the Bible instructs us that you O God are the guide of all history our times as all times of history are in your complete power and your perfect wisdom father I pray for the congregants at atonement first this morning. Remember our shut-ins today. Those who are lonely during this quarantine and don't really have answers, God, for. Why in the world this is going on? Those who would love for some to visit or call, remember them. Give strength to those recovering from medical procedures like our brother Mike parent. May his surgery last Thursday bring him great relief, Lord. For those battling sickness, we ask your healing touch. Pour out gracious comfort on those among us grieving today. Father, for those needing employment, open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for them. Encourage all of the atonement congregants, Lord, and all of those participating across the country and the world today here in this very online worship service. We pray for Christy and Matt Lawson, and we ask you, God, to bless this pregnancy. We ask you to allow it to come to full term with a healthy baby for the Lawson family. We ask that you heal our brother Ryan McKay of his skin cancer. We pray you give him wisdom as he leads and loves his family. We pray for those among us, God, who are in the healthcare profession, Diane Young, Pam Bell, Nima, Temi, and others, God, working with COVID patients. We pray, O oh God, you keep them safe, but indeed bless their hands that healing might happen. We do pray for continued strength and healing for our church family and loved ones, for Rick, for Andrea, for Vicki, for Allison, for Grace and Ted, for Sue, for Susan, for Lyndon, for Lyle, for Ruth, for Anita, for Graceland, for Lisa. We pray, O oh God, for the special needs among us who don't understand, God, what's going on. We pray, O God, that in your great providence, you'll allow their families and friends to be able to reach out and to love them and to let them know they are all right. Father, there is no circumstance of human life beyond your ability and your power to change. Our country has a past filled with swift transgression. Like all the civilizations of mankind, past up until now. And into the mess of lawbreakers like us, Jesus Christ came to deliver people like us out of the chains of sin, out of the kingdom of darkness, and into the kingdom of God. Father, individual sinners produce communities and societies of larger sinners. Today, Father, I ask you to pour out salvation, pour out deliverance through Jesus Christ the Lord by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit throughout these United States where we live. In days past, Father, people prayed for a spiritual awakening. Uh, a, a, a great revival a great awakening Father today people sit in darkness today people sit in darkness in ignorance as our brother preached and the lives they live show that you are not central to them Father God pour out your spirit upon us upon them, societies change for the better when people turn to Jesus. Work in us and through us, O oh God, so that the light of the Savior shines through every part of our society and all for the glory of God. We come before you today, Lord, we are broken and you are the healer. We pray, God, that you will... Save as only you can save. We pray all of these things in the matchless name of Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, let's sing together a wonderful song. Oh, great God.
1: occupy my